For our next industry update this morning, we've got some news out of NRF, the National Retail Federation. Uh, Now that we're firmly in 2021, we're getting a lot of big picture data on 2020's economic numbers, where the U.S. grew, where it struggled, et cetera, et cetera. And we have some fresh news on specifically the retail industry and its imports. So again, some reporting out of the National Retail Federation. Though retailers struggled massively during the pandemic due to Obviously, the pandemic, a lack of economic relief, decreased foot traffic, just to name a few. The U.S. actually may set some new records in 2020 for retail imports, even with the pandemic. This is according to a monthly global port tracker report that was released by NRF and Hackett Associates. So U.S. imports are often measured in TEUs, which is a 20-foot equivalent units, which to get even more specific, is equivalent to one 20-foot shipping container. So if we look at those numbers, 2020 is set to wrap with a record 21.9 million TEUs, which is 1.5% greater than 2019's numbers and breaks 2018's annual record of 21.8 TEUs. If we look month to month in October of 2020, the U.S. set a monthly TEU record with 2.21 million. uh, And that's at least since NRF started tracking these imports back in 2002. If we look at December's numbers to wrap up the year, they're likely going to hit around 2.02 million TEU which shows 17.3% year-over-year growth and is only one of six times in nearly 20 years that that monthly total has hit the 2 million TEU mark. And what's potentially exciting for retailers is that these trends are expected to continue into 2021 as well. January is forecast uh, to be up almost 8% from last year, which would make it the highest import January on record. February is forecasted to be up 6%. March, April, and May are forecasted to be up 19%, 10%, 22%, respectively. So these trends seem to be continuing into next year. So we'd like to get some more insights on what this means for retailers. So to get some key takeaways on these numbers, how the industry should strategize around them moving forward, I'd like to welcome Jason Prescott. He's the CEO of JP Communications, Inc. They are a 16-year B2B global trade facilitator, operator of trade sites like top10wholesale.com and manufacturer.com, and also the producers of one of the world's largest apparel and textile sourcing trade shows, Apparel Textile Sourcing. Jason, great to have you on. How are you doing this morning? Doing wonderful. Thanks, Daniel. I'm, I'm uh, calling you from our COVID retreat up here in uh, Pagosa, Colorado. Um, Ooh, thanks for having me. That sounds nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 8,500 feet up, looking at a fresh blanket of snow and anxious to hit the slopes at Wolf Creek Mountain today. But um, thank you for having me. And, um, you know, I look forward to, uh, you know, having a little powwow with you. Absolutely. Well, I'll uh, try not to keep you too long so you can hit the skis, but (laughs) let's go ahead and jump right in. So if we look at the short term, according to the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis, imports of goods increased uh, $6.3 billion to about $2.1, or excuse me, about $214 billion in November. And this growth was led by consumer goods, specifically electronics and household goods. We also saw industrial supplies and capital goods um, grow in their imports. So what are your thoughts on why these sectors led in the back half of 2020? And how do you think this impacts retail strategies moving into 2021? The wheels of trade um, had a wrench put in them um, the first quarter of 2020. Um, You had a lot of panic. Um, The pandemic hit really hard. Um, You had all of your producing regions in Asia 
um, South and Central America, um, all throughout Eastern Europe that, that took a halt. Factories came to a stall. Um, workers couldn't work and nobody knew what we had on our hands. Um, what we did know is that our government told us not to buy toilet paper. We had no toilet paper. They told us not to wear a mask. We had no masks. They told us, don't worry about getting a lot of food. You had extensive lines at a grocery store. Um, I, I think as people began to realize that, you know, this pandemic was going to be here to stay and we started getting the necessary PPE in place, you had a lot of sectors that started to lead back. And, and in my opinion, a lot of them were very obvious sectors. Um, you know, on our search platforms, we saw things booming like athleisure and ha household goods and gym equipment and industrial supplies. Building, building activity started coming back. Everybody realized that, hey, there's going to be building. There's going to be a migration. People want acres. They don't want 1,200 square feet and small furniture anymore. Um, you know, as, as you came into November, you saw a lot of sectors that started to really take the spotlight. And I think you could also attribute a lot of this to government subsidies. A lot of these factories, a lot of these factories in China, all throughout Bangladesh, um, the government needed to step in and help the wheels of trade start spinning again. And, you know, there's a lot of negotiation right now going on between buyer and seller. Some of the deals were really good. They were too good to turn down. But, you know, you had a significant amount of PPE. A lot of these household goods are PPE related. Um, there's also a lot of things that people took up on hobbies, whether it's cooking, um, getting different types of cleaning supplies, buying a lot of furniture, a lot of electronics. So, you know, a lot of this stuff was natural, in my opinion. Um, you had such a cessation in trade that the natural boon was inevitable. So I think what we're seeing here is a resurgence in a lot of um, retail optimism. You ask me about, you know, what this means for retail. I, retail thinks ahead. Uh, they think far ahead. I think retail is beginning to plan for the third wave. Um, and I don't think everybody is very, I think we're cautiously optimistic about the vaccine, but at the end of the day, we have some new norms here. And a lot of these new norms require new sourcing strategies. So, um, in my opinion, um, there you have it. I want to, uh highlight those sourcing strategies here for a second as well. Uh, with October's TEU record in mind and forecasts into 2021 continuing this import growth, how should retailers uh, strategize their sourcing, in your opinion, to better prepare for this continued import growth? Be careful. <laughs> Be really careful. Um, nobody knows what the future holds right now. I mean, Look, let's face it, I'll speak about my sector because I can be most articulate on that. We produce the apparel textile sourcing trade shows. And I can tell you that, you know, we started launching these virtual events and it went from being fashion centric to being PPE centric. Um, so fashion is all but dead right now. So if you look at a chain store, whether it's Macy's, whether it's Saks, some luxury things, I mean, consumers aren't thinking about going to a wedding right now. People aren't, you know, a lot of people aren't thinking about these social events like they used to. They're staying home. You know, I, I saw a lot of people, a lot of my friends, they were, they were not taking COVID very seriously for a long time. And now they do. There's more of a respect factor that, hey, you know what? It's not right for me to go out there and get other people sick. And that's the truth, you know? Um, so I think as you speak about retail strategies, you're going to see a lot of stockpiling. There's container shortages all over the place. 
buyers are trying to get stuff in and sellers are trying to sell. So I think if, if you look at sourcing strategies, it's going to be about supply and demand as it always is. It's common sense. It comes back to the common theory, right? Um, there's going to be demand for a lot of product and suppliers are going to want to supply and the pricing incentives are there right now. Um, in fact, I've never seen less duties in my life. A lot of people speak about this trade war, but I think if you take a look at some of the harmonizations and some of the classifications that are going on out there, um, you're seeing a lot of these duties that are disappearing. Um, you're seeing a lot of things come in, you know, duty free. Um, you're not seeing some of the penalties. Some of the penalties were uplifted very sneakily. Um, and retailers are taking advantage of those incentives right now. So a lot of this is incentive based. I, 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 I will go on a limb to say that you need to be careful and don't believe the numbers. Some of the biggest lies out there are statistics and politicians. And we got a lot of those right now. You know, um, <laughs> I, I can tell you that I, I haven't, I, I, I can't think of the last time I went to a mall or took my family to a mall to go shopping. As a matter of fact, I did. I, I, I went to a mall, a strip mall in Carlsbad, California to go shopping um, a few weeks ago for some clothes. And when I got there, I was immediately turned down. I had to wait almost an hour outside of a store line. It was an Adidas store, almost an hour to get inside the store. It was an incredible experience. I said, There's, I'll never do that again. I'm going to go online. So if you ask me about the retail strategies going forward, it's e-commerce, man. It's all e-commerce. Yeah. I mean, we need to get much better with augmented reality, with virtual reality, with bringing the shopping experience, the consumer into the business because nobody wants to deal with the panic, the hecticness, the chaos, and all of the all of the preparation you need to go to a store. So I, I think there's a lot of changes out there. At the end of the day, the strategy is simple. It's e-commerce and that, that's how you sum it up. We can speak like e-commerce forever, but it's e-com. It's e-com 100%. I'm glad you brought that up because I think e-commerce also speaks to uh, some of the ways we're seeing the retail supply chain uh, you know, compound with various challenges. Um, as e-commerce facilitates that kind of shopping experience and, uh, you know, it, customers expect a certain level of speed and quality to their delivery and shipping, uh, that places fresh pressures on retailers to, um, you know, bolster their delivery infrastructure and just their supply chain in general. Now, on top of this, these high import volumes, especially from Asia to West Coast ports, have also created some shortages in shipping capacity, shortage in supply chain workers, and port congestion. So even with this record import growth, we still see a lot of supply chain issues. So how have these supply chain issues impacted retailers' abilities to maintain control over their goods and services and their, uh, you know, their business strategies? What have been the effects there? Connect the dots for us. They're ordering in advance. Your stock, their stockpiling goes back to the stockpiling. Um, their retailers are bringing as much in as possible right now that they know is going to work during the ages of this pandemic, which is going to be here for a little bit more time. I mean, I think most retailers are predicting this to, you know, be with us through the end of 2021, minimally, minimally. And there's no guarantee of that. So for a large retailer, for a small retailer to think a couple quarters ahead and say, hey, instead of getting, you know, two containers of this, I'm gonna get six, because it just makes sense, because I don't know when the next shortage is gonna happen. I don't know when the next shutdown is gonna happen. I don't know if my factory is gonna be working next week or next month. Um, 
that's what you're seeing. Um, you're seeing, if you take a look at the diversity of product, you're not seeing a growing diversity of product that's coming in. You're seeing a shrinkage of the types of diversity that is coming in, but you're seeing a lot more of it ordered. Um, and you're seeing a lot of, you're seeing other things that are being ordered that are in the PPE realm. PPE is a big product right now. Um, it's a lot bigger than what people think because there's a lot of things that are PPE related, especially when it comes to industrial, in business, in hospital, in hospitality. Um, hospitality is a huge one. I don't know if you've stayed at a Hilton hotel recently, but, um, or a Marriott, but they've been totally remade and renovated to accommodate the pandemic. So yeah, there's a lot of ordering for that. Looking at data on, um, the U S's foreign trade partners, this comes from the U S census bureau and it's probably pretty expected. Our top three trade partners for imports were China, Mexico, and Canada respectively. Uh, now do you imagine, uh, of course, with PNTR with China and NAFTA creating these trade incentives, and they have been for decades now, do you think these are going to remain our major import partners moving forward? Yes, no, why or why not? And how should retailers strateg uh, excuse me, strategize around these being our key trade import partners? Well, if you look back to um, maybe March or, or maybe April, April or May, I was interviewed um, on RAP, W-R-A-P, that's the um, they're a, it's a compliance association that deals with suppliers all over the world. And they asked me the same question. They said, a little bit different. They said, Jason, you know, what happens with this trade? What, what happens with this pandemic? Who comes out of it? My, 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 my um, guess, I, I took this as more of a statement, was China. China wins. Um, um, it all goes back to where it started. And China is by far the most advanced trading partner that we have. China has the best logistics, the best speed to the market, the best production. And, you know, we hear this rhetoric about leaving China, about the China trade war, about we must diversify. Well, newsflash, retailers don't want to diversify. Retailers have been told to go to China for more than three, four decades right now. And they've spent trillions building this infrastructure. They are not just at the just at a, the sign of a tweet going to say, well, we're going to spend another few trillion going somewhere else. Um, I've been to thousands of factories all over the world, especially inside China. And I can tell you to replicate that infrastructure would be impossible. So do I think that much of this will remain the same? I do. I do indeed. I do feel you're going to see some U.S. production that's going to pick up a little bit especially in, in textile and, and some other types of industrial or electronic or higher end components. Um, but, you know, and that's going to be because you have all these things like micro factories and, and, and you have a lot of new things that are, that are helping near sourcing fuel it forward um, as technology enhances that ability. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, we'll see very minimal, minimal growth in the U S um, which is good. It's going to bring some jobs back. It's going to be okay. But most of what you're going to see um, is going to be China-based. Um, and that's just a fact. And you can hold me to that. All right. Last question for you, Jason. With those global supply chains in mind, do you think that 
uh, it is to retailers, U.S. retailers' benefit to encourage uh, imports from these global supply chains by sourcing solely globally produced products and uh, feeding into the import economy of the U.S.? Or do you see any incentives to go against said import grain and try to source U.S. made and develop uh, U.S.-based uh, manufacturer distributor connections? Thoughts there? I'm, look, I'm a patriot. I'm a patriot. Um, and um, I love to see jobs come back in America. I love to see us make our own product. I love to see us be independent and, you know, have a little bit of protectionism to what we do. Um, we're a country ripe with intellectual property. We've got the best engineers, the best scientists, the best mathematicians, the best developers in the world, the best educators in the world. Um, so I do think that we're going to see more warehousing, more factories that get built. But again, these are going to be autonomous. They're going to be based off of robotics and automation. And I, I, I do think that that requires a big investment. But I, I don't see it creating a lot of jobs, unfortunately. Um, so do I feel that it's good to have U.S. made? Absolutely 100%. But do I also feel that it's good to have a global trade strategy, provided that the internet still works, provided that we're still an interconnected society and the world is working together, not against each other, despite what the media says, having trading partners is healthy, okay? You make money when you buy, not when you sell. And when a retailer is able to make a profit, when a consumer is able to make a higher wage, um, when a business is able to grow their revenues, most people are not hiding that under their pillow or in their backyard. They're, they're spreading it. They're spending it in the economy. And that's creating jobs. It's creating economic boon. It's fueling our real estate market. It's fueling our consumer spending and our habits and our behaviors. So I think having a mixture of it all is healthy. All right. Jason Prescott, CEO of JP Communications, thank you so much for your insights today. Uh, if folks want to find out a little bit more about JP Communications or any of your trade sites or trade shows that you operate and produce, how can they do so? Sure. You can go to manufacturer.com or you can go to apparelpexnowsourcing.com and you can find out much more about our organization. And um, that's it. We've been around for about 15 years well-known company with about three to four million members and several thousand customers. And, um, you know, we look forward to uh, um, uh, connecting and facilitating trade, global and domestic, any way we can. Fantastic. Thank you again, Jason. Looking forward to chatting again soon. Thank you.